Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears Podcast. Bears banter powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and whew, there is a lot going on with the Chicago Bears right now. A lot to unpack in this podcast, and we will be joined in a little while by Shay Pepler of ESPN, formerly of Fox Chicago. I'm sure you all know her well. She's going to be jumping on here shortly, but before she does, let me get a few things off my mind about this team and there's oh so much to unpack here my first of all it feels like this this Bears game against the Saints was like five years ago I'm sure that's probably because of the election and everything else that's been going on here the last few days but uh this is a Bears podcast we're not going to be worried about the election if if you do if you are interested in the election and, and and kind of a sports spin on that I recommend you you go back a few months to June podcast I did with Sam Acho, kind of about everything that's going on around the, the black community right now. I thought that was a really interesting piece. I did the best I could with Sam. Sam's a, a brilliant guy, really, you know, it's just enlightening to listen to him because he he's just, he just knows, he can just articulate what's going on in the black community so well and really resonate with you if you're looking from the from the outside in and, and, and all that. So, Recommend that podcast if, if you want to go down that road, but we're not going to be talking about any of that right now. We're going to be talking about what's going on with the Chicago Bears team, and let's start with this New Orleans Saints game. Don't want to spend too much time on it because there is so much that's happened since then, but I'll start with the national headline from this game, and that is Javon Wims. I don't know Javon Wims personally, but Javon Wims acted like a complete immature idiot. There's, there's no other way to say it. I know some Bears fans are trying to say, oh, he's defending his players. Like, love that he stepped up like that. No, no, no. There's, there's, there's plenty of ways you can stand up for your teammates and not behave like that. Look, you want to stand up for your teammates? Get in his face. Get in his face and, you know, and tell him how much you disapprove of what he's doing. Because you know what? If you get in his face, if you push his buttons... He's going to push you. He's going to smack you. That's 15 yards for the Bears instead of against the Bears. That's And that's not an ejection Javon Wims either. So there are smarter ways to handle it. Javon Wims handled it the worst possible way he could have. He deserved to be ejected. He deserves the suspension. I didn't scream that he should be released, but if Matt Nagy chose to do it, I would have no problems with that. At this point, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen because you would have thought that would have happened immediately. But looks like Wims is going to stay on this roster, which that's fine. Matt Nagy wants to handle that internally. He's been very clear. He has not shared anything about what he told Javon Wims. 
which means that was not a pretty conversation that he had with Javon Wims. If it was just, well, we told Javon we were disappointed and he needed to be smarter and, you know, that, and that's it, he could have moved on and done that. He said he was upset and he would not share what he was going to say to Javon and what he did say to Javon. So let's not worry about how Matt Nagy handled it because, look, Javon Wims made a, a, a big mistake and it cost the Bears. It may have cost the Bears momentum. It may have cost them that game. It's hard to say an incident that happened in the third quarter to your fourth wide receiver is really something that just blew up the whole game plan. But there's no question that it did stymie momentum. That was clearly in the favor of the Bears right there, to, in, in my eyes. And really, not just stymied any momentum the Bears had, but really kind of launched momentum for the Saints. The Bears were about to have a second and five. Instead, it was... Or, it was second and 20. It was just it was just unacceptable. It really put this team behind the eight ball. And here's the thing, and that's what everyone has to remember with Wims. Yeah, sure, he stood up for his, his teammates, but he hindered the offense in a way that it didn't need to be hindered. The offense can hinder itself enough on its own. It doesn't need help with extracurricular activities like Javon Wims was doing there. It just It's just uncalled for, and it's unacceptable in my eyes. So... That apart, the game was frustrating because it was there for the taking. Again, we see the inconsistencies within the body of a game, again for Chicago. We see them able to execute drives and move the ball well in small sample sizes, but then in larger sample sizes, the running game doesn't look great most of the time. The offensive line doesn't look great most of the time. Nick Foles doesn't look great most of the time, and thus the offense doesn't look great most of the time. Look, you know how much I was a supporter that they should switch from Trubisky to Foles. You also know, though, how disappointed I was that Nick Foles was the best that this team could do when Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are going all in on this season, going all in on this season, and yet they didn't address the quarterback situation better than Nick Foles. I understand Nick Foles knows, knows the offense, you know how much I dislike giving up a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles. You know how much I thought that that kind of was a, a desperate move and that the Bears could have been more aggressive in going after some other people. But regardless, we're stuck with Nick Foles now. Nick Foles is who he is. Nick Foles is almost, he's a Bears quarterback. And I mean that in the most, he just feels like Kyle Orton, Jim Miller, Mike Tomzak, Jim Harbaugh. He just just fit him right in with the rest of that group that the Bears have had basically since Jim McMahon, right? Right? Doesn't, doesn't he just feel like this is the guy that should be quarterbacking the Bears? Because this is this is all we get with this team. It's so frustrating. It, you know, we can sit there and say, you know, look, Jay Cutler has no business being the second or third greatest quarterback in the history of a franchise that's over 100 years old. Not knocking Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler was a fine quarterback. But Jay Cutler was not third all-time great quarterback for a franchise that's a hundred years old. It's just, you know, like you just look at the neighbors, you look at the Packers, they have Bart Starr, Aaron Rodgers, and Brett Favre. That's the kind of quarterbacks you should have over a hundred years, and the Bears just don't have it. And I just, you just can't even wrap your head around how, how this team can be this poorly quarterback for a hundred years. There's just, it, it, it's almost like the Cubs curse, the, the curse of the Bears quarterback, the curse of Sid Luckman. I just, it's just so frustrating to watch time and time again. And 
I thought by this time, this offense was going to be clicking a little more than it was. I never thought this offense was going to be great under Nick Foles. I thought this offense could be functional under Nick Foles, and it just hasn't gotten there. And sure, you're seeing some some signs, you know, you see a couple deep balls to Mooney, you see Foles making a couple nice adjustments at the line of scrimmage, you see a little up-tempo sometimes, but that's not enough. I can't sit there and say, and, and, and knock that the glimpses of Mitch Trubisky aren't enough and then say that the glimpses of this offense are. You have to be consistent with your analysis, at least I think you do, and the offense just isn't coming around. And now, with the offensive line the way it is, this offense, I don't know how this offense can come around this week, and I don't know how this offense can come around in the next few weeks if this offensive line continues to be this banged up. They need Cody Whitehair back as soon as possible. We know Bobby Massey's on the IR. He's going to miss a few weeks. Maybe Jermaine Effetti can can clear COVID and get back on the field. That's They desperately need him. It is just Charles Leno. And I know you guys want to just pile on Charles Leno all the time because you don't think he's he's good enough for his contract. I'll disagree, and we can talk about that some other time. But Charles Leno is the pillar of this offensive line right now with a bunch of guys that half the time would be on a practice squad on September 1st. So this offense is going to be a mess here for a couple weeks because of the offensive line. And let me use that to transition into my next point, and that is the trade deadline, which, of course, the Bears were quiet. How could they be quiet? Being quiet at this trade deadline is so counterproductive to what they did building this team. I do not understand the point of going all in this year. And they went all in this year. The amount of guys 30 years or older that they signed, the amount of guys, the amount of money that they put towards Robert Quinn and punting money down down in not really intelligent ways, if you ask me, to get Quinn on the field. the What they did, you know, with Nick Foles, what they did was saying, we want to win games this season. So now you're trying to win games this season. You're five and three. You're winning more games than you're losing. The offensive line is a problem. James Daniels is out for the year. Rashad Coward has failed. I love the idea of trying to transition him a couple of years ago. I thought it was a great idea. I assume it was Harry Heastan's idea. I thought it was a great idea. James Williams, Big Cat Williams, the thoughts of him going through my head of a converted defensive line. Big Cat Williams, same path as Coward. Defensive lineman, undrafted, switches to the offensive line, takes a couple of years to develop, and develops into a great right tackle. I really thought maybe this is where Rashad Coward could go. Rashad Coward has failed as an offensive lineman, and yet they keep and keep trotting him out there and trotting him out there and trotting him out there, and he is failing miserably. I was I was a left tackle in, in high school, and, and I was pretty good. I'm not sitting there saying I was amazing, but I was pretty good. And the left guard I had next to me was pretty good. And he got hurt, and he missed two or three games. I don't remember exactly how many. And the backup came in. The backup was a sophomore. He was green. He didn't have any experience. And, you know, he, and I don't know exactly how well he developed by the time he was a senior, but he wasn't there as a sophomore. And, and our coaches would grade the offensive line play. And my grades suffered incredibly when I had a backup left guard next to me instead of a quality left guard next to me. Because offensive lines need to be cohesive and they, they, they need to play off each other. So Charles Leno is on an island out there. And, and you want to say that he's not that good. Okay, fine. Then take away James Daniels or Cody Whitehair, who's ever going to be next to him 
and watch him basically try and do two jobs, basically try and do his job and the left guard's job. He's not good enough to do it. And the it's just a train wreck over there. You just watch Coward. He doesn't understand simple stunts. He's he's on roller skates on, on, on pass protection. He cannot get to the second level and help out with blocks. And David Montgomery's got nowhere to go. There's it, The list goes on and on. You watch the tape every week. This isn't like his first attempt. He played last year. We know who Rashad Coward is at this point. It's a year and a half of him basically on the football field. It's not coming around. The, the trade deadline is here. You do, not, you do not have a left guard. They don't have a left guard on this team that can be trotted out there. There are a bunch of teams tanking who would happily give away an, a, a below-average guard, interior offensive lineman, for a six-round pick. Or make it a conditional six-round pick. So when they get those, they should be getting two, three comp picks, six-round caliber comp picks in, in the offseason. Give up one of those six-round picks. Don't, don't even give them your six-round pick, which will at least be in the middle of the round. Give up the ones that are basically seventh-round picks. Just get, get one of those guys so you can fortify a little bit of the offensive line. And they didn't do it. How do you not do it? And, and now, now this offensive line, oh, my God. What a, what a mess this offensive line is. You got three injuries. You got a Fetty with potential COVID issues. I mean, it's, it, it's going to make this offense as bad as it was, even worse. And I just don't even know how they're going to be able to function. It's it's really, really frustrating to see an obvious hole. I didn't think the Bears need to go out aggressive and get four different guys. But to see an obvious hole, even before you got in this mess, and not address it at a low-level amount. I'm not saying go out and, you know, trade for an elite guard for a second-round pick. I'm not saying to waste draft capital, but how you don't try and address this at some low level to try and help your offensive line a little bit. Ah, frustrated with, with Pace and Nagy's decision there to, to stick with this. I mean, Rashad Coward, you know, unless they bench him for bars at some point when guys start getting healthy, Coward's out there for the rest of the year. Maybe he'll be better if he's at right tackle. Maybe he'll be better. Maybe left guard isn't his thing. Maybe he can be better on the right side. I, I don't know. But what's 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 going on right now is just it's just not working and it's it's frustrating. So before I bring on Shea Pepper, I just want to say one last thing, and that's just hitting on this Trubisky injury. This thing's a little weird. I mean, look, he was out there for one play, he hurts his shoulder, and now you're talking about three shoulder injuries in three seasons. You can guarantee one thing, and I think it was already guaranteed that Mitch Trubisky's the ship had sailed on the Chicago Bears, this, you know, his career in the Chicago Bears. It's over now. There's there's no chance they're going to bring this guy back at any dollar amount. He they they will let him go. They will move on from him this off season, and I don't know if Trubisky's going to be healthy. Look, it was so vague the the reports coming out. I don't know if it was going to be something that they're going to monitor, and maybe he can be healthy again in a couple of weeks. I don't know if there's going to be surgery involved. You, you certainly hear structural issues. That's that's never a good sign. That's a really rough way to finish Mitch Trubisky's career. Look, I've been critical of Trubisky the last 14 months. Really critical. A lot of you will say unfairly critical. I don't, but that's fine. That we're, we're allowed to disagree. But his last two plays, 
as the Chicago Bears throwing an interception against Atlanta and getting benched, then coming out for a little bit of a, you know, I don't want to call it a trick play, but a little change of pace play there and getting hurt on one run and getting hurt in the shoulder region again, something that he's had problems with both shoulders the first two seasons. That, look, we know Trubisky's uh, Bears career was not what it was supposed to be. He didn't live up to expectations. You know, we can all cling to 2018 and say maybe what could have been. There were definitely still holes in the 2018 Trubisky that a lot of us didn't want to address at the time. But the bottom line is Trubisky's Bears career appears to be over. And the way it ended, for me, I I feel bad for Trubisky. I do. Trubisky's a good guy. He's a hard worker. Anyone you talk to says he's just, honestly, he's a pleasure to have around Hallis Hall. I've said this on this podcast before. He's the type of guy that you want leading your team for 10 to 15 years. The face of your franchise. He's perfect. And he does. He's got skills. But it never came together. The, the Reading the defenses and, and getting through his progressions and the, and the speed of the NFL game just seemed to overwhelm him. And now that finish to a Bears career, I feel bad for him. I really do. And uh, you want to you call BS? You can, but that's my genuine thoughts on him. I think there's two things. You can be critical of a quarterback. You can be very critical of a quarterback, and you can still feel bad for the person. And I feel bad for the person that Mitch Trubisky is. He's a good guy. He's been on this podcast three times. And if that's the end of his Bears career, that's unfortunate. So let's uh, let's, let's stop listening to me, and let's start listening to Shea Pepler. She joins us next. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for my next guest. You Bears fans know her well. Shea Pepler, you know her well from from Fox Chicago, but she's at ESPN Radio now game day, and she joins us now. Shea, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? It's so nice to be able to jump on a radio show and only talk Bears, or a podcast, I should say, and only talk Bears. It's my favorite. That's that's all we do here. We block out everything else. There's no election. There's there's no distractions. We're just doing bears. So let's start with your general take on the bears. This is a bit of an enigma team here. Perhaps their record better than their actual talent level. Been up and down. The offense is struggling. The defense has looked pretty good overall. So after you know the midway point of the season, where are you with the bears? Uh, I would say where I always am, Bill. I feel like this is this typical Chicago Bears DNA. Chicago, Chicago always has strong defense, shaky quarterback play, establishing the run game the last few years has been an issue. Um, and here we are. It seems like the same story, just a different year. There's not much to talk about on the defensive side of the ball because it's just reload every year and they, they're doing okay. They're keeping the Bears in this but in terms of being surprised, I'd say I was surprised they beat the Bucks. But beyond that, no, this they win some, they lose some. Um, I think now the quarterback issue is starting to catch up to them. Uh, you can only surprise teams with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky and what you're doing there. And those two players, I think, can only take you so far. And that's probably what you're starting to see. Good teams like the Saints, for example, 
who have a solid coaching staff and have a lot of consistent players that have been on those squads for a long time, figure out the bears quickly. And I think that's the problem they're going to run into here as they start to play teams like the Packers and even the Vikings. Um, you know, it's just same stuff, different year. Yeah, it, it really is. We just seem to be in this perpetual circle that we just can never seem to get out of, but I don't want to spend too much time on the Saints game, but let me ask you about the incident that, of course, made national football headlines with Javon Wims and, you know, the the, the punch on the helmet. You know, so there were some Bears fans that were saying, hey, he was sticking up for teammates and, you know, trying to find a a silver lining, I guess. But for me, that that really bothered me. I know it bothered Matt Nagy based on what he said there. What was your reaction to see how Wims, you know, what Wims did out on the field there? First of all, I, I know Javon Wims pretty well from being in that locker room for the last couple of years. And let me just say this before I say what I'm about to say. He has always been a stand-up guy. He's always been very respectful towards everyone in that locker room. Anytime I've asked him for an interview, he's done it. Um, I have never heard of any issues at all with him on, uh, sorry, let me turn my phone off. I have never heard of him of any issues with all with other teammates. He's always been a high character guy. So this to me was surprising coming from him. Now, people who don't watch the bears a lot or don't know that roster very well are probably like, who the heck even is Javon Wims? Like he's an average receiver, which he is, but let me just point out, he's one of the tallest receivers they have on that squad. He's more of a distraction piece to me than he is a guy like. Allen Robinson, who's always targeted. It's a different kind of player. So let me throw that out there. In terms of the actual incident, stupid, dumb. I mean, pick an adjective and you can use it to describe what happened. I don't know why he, first of all, I don't know why anyone in their right mind would ever punch someone with a helmet on. (laughs) What is the point in that? You're going to hurt your hand more than you're going to hurt the person. So that itself is boneheaded. And then just the timing of the game. And this was said a lot on the broadcast. Things were starting to go the Bears way. And then you have that incident happen. And then, of course, right after that, Foles throws an interception. Boneheaded. Just just stupid. I know a lot of people were calling him to get for him to get cut because he is kind of an average receiver. He's not your number one like Allen Robinson. But I will say, I know Matt Nagy feels the same way being around him. He is a high character guy. That was not that was not a normal situation for him, but he needs to have a better understanding of when to discipline yourself and walk away than being triggered with whatever happened, whether he spit or he said something or he ripped his mouth. I don't really care. You need to know when to walk away. And uh, that was stupid on Javon Wim's part. I know he's apologized. I'm sure it won't happen again, but I thought very out of character for him. Yeah. I, I completely understand where you're coming from there. Well, while we're talking wide receivers, let's, let's go over to Allen Robinson, who's, clearly become not just the number one weapon on this offense, but maybe the only weapon on this offense, except for some sprinkling of Darnell Mooney. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were clamoring for the extension. We still have Cordero Patterson tweeting out, you know, extend a Rob, how, what being how important he is to this offense, how do you think Ryan Pace and the bears have handled these contract negotiations or lack thereof going into his, his free agent season? I don't, quite understand it to be honest I mean everyone has eyes he's the only weapon that the quarterback Nick Foles or Trubisky whoever's has utilized in the last two years effectively yes there are moments when there's nice passes to Darnell Mooney there are moments when when Tariq Cohen was healthy that they would utilize him or David Montgomery or whatever but really it's been the Allen Robinson show when it comes to the receiver so I'm I'm confused why they haven't extended him yet I don't really understand the thought process, to be honest. And when you have players on your team tweeting this at higher management or, you know, the suits in the building, 
That's odd to me. You don't normally see that. So I don't know what the disconnect is there because I'm not there every day like I used to be. But that whole scenario is very strange to me. Like, just extend him if you know you're going to keep him around. Maybe they're trying to wait till the end of the season to see how much money they have to work with. If they need to go get another quarterback, fine. But clearly that's not being expressed to Allen. Otherwise, he would have already told Cordero, like, chill out. It's coming, just not yet. So I don't know what's going on there, but it's weird. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I thought maybe the, you know, they, they were trying early. Maybe the price when all the receivers started getting extended went up more than they thought. But the problem is the price is still going to keep going up. So every yeah, year, I, it every really month, and the, not to sound cynical, but like the better he gets and the more yards he has and the more obvious he is that he's the only target, he's the only weapon for Nick Foles at this point the more money you're going to have to pay him. Had you just extended him in the beginning of the year, again, you probably could have gotten away with a little bit less. So the longer you wait this out, the more money you're going to have to pay him. I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Very odd to me. Yeah. Yeah. While, while we're talking receivers, let me just, let, let's finish up in that position group with, with Anthony yeah. Miller, who yeah, no one seems to be able to quite figure out Anthony Miller. We, everyone sees the talent, the dynamic catches, you know, it's see him getting open and, and, and all the potential that's there, which clearly just has not come together with him. You have any idea what's, what's holding him back is Anthony Miller holding him back is the offensive mess holding him back. What's, what's the problem with, why isn't Anthony Miller? Yeah. Anthony Miller's another, another guy I really like in that locker room. He's um, he's a really hard worker, kind of wears a, like a chip on his shoulder at all times. Um, he's, he's kind of got that cocky swag that typical receivers have. He's a smaller guy, but Anthony Miller came from a smaller school in Memphis. He is not some guy that just came off of the Georgia, Alabama, Penn state prep, you know, squad and stepped into the NFL. There was a learning curve with him. And I think you're still starting to see that a little bit. Also, he's had some injuries. Now he hasn't played every single game. Like there's been moments. He had a shoulder injury last year that he had a harness that kind of restricted him. There's been moments in his career where he's missed some games, had to sit out some practices. So I still think there's a little bit of a learning curve there with them, with him. He'll get there. He's a good player and he's a hard worker. And I think as you, as you mentioned, you, you see flashes of that. I just think he's just behind the eight ball a little bit, but, but I do think he'll get there. All right. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this offensive line. Cause it's hard not to talk about the offensive line. Let, let's put about the, the, the current situation aside. We'll, we'll, we'll get to what's going on with the offensive line right now, but the offensive line, the last few weeks, obviously it's been a problem. It was a problem when Trubisky was a quarterback. It remains a problem with Foles. Mm-hmm. The often, you know, the pass protection is not great. Obviously the running game can't get going. You know, I think the fingers should be pointing more towards the offensive line than the than the running back with Montgomery. But you know, obviously, a lot of people are talking about Nagy and 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 his ability to call a game, and maybe that's hindering the running game. Where are you with this offensive line? We know it's not great, but is this offensive? Is there any hope when this offensive line is healthy that it can be a solid unit in your eyes? Yeah. Look, Cody White here at one point was a Pro Bowler. He's now injured and he's gone and he's what anchors that offensive line. And let me also just add this when they shifted Cody Whitehair last year to right or left guard, I'm forgetting what position they moved him to. Mr. Bisky had major problems to the point where it was talked about extensively about moving Cody Whitehair back to center to help Mitch Trubisky. He's a center. It's not like he's a receiver or he's a running back or he does something that could, that could help Trubisky immensely, but it did. When they moved Cody Whitehair back to center, you saw Mitch Trubisky make improvements. So I think that in itself is going to be a problem. I understand Nick Foles is now the quarterback, but yet still 
every good quarterback needs a good center. I think you're seeing that also with the Dallas Cowboys. They've got a boatload of issues. But the minute they lost Travis Frederick, their you know, all-star center, everything went down the tubes. And I think that's part of the problem with the offensive line right now. Now, that obviously has just happened in the last couple of weeks. In terms of the rest of the line, I don't know what the deal is, but Foles has no time. I mean, if you see some of these throws he's making, I'm, I count on my, I'm like, there's less than three seconds sometimes. He's got no right. time. I think that's also part of the problem with establishing the run game. I mean, I know they've got injuries now. Bobby Massey just went on IR. And I said yesterday, I was on ESPN 1000, and I said, guys, at this point, did you lose Kyle Long's number? Might not be a bad idea to give him a call because you really need somebody in there, if nothing else, just to have some depth that can move across that line in different positions because there's injuries. There's guys now on the COVID-19 reserve list. You have Cody Whitehair out for an extended period of time. Like there's problems. And I'm like, not joking. Kyle Long knows that system. I know it wasn't the, the cleanest, most happy breakup. Wouldn't be a bad idea to give him a ring. Yeah. I, look, uh, Kyle Long, wh- whoever, I really felt they needed to bring in some sort of interior offensive line yeah. and the way things were going. And that was before we got to this point with white hair out and Massey out James Daniels, of course, you know, yeah. they've got three of their starting five out of Fetty might be out on the, on the COVID list. I mean, they may have a week four preseason offensive line out there trying to protect Nick Foles against a pretty good defense. Yeah. And, and James Daniels is a quiet guy. Bobby Massey's not. And Cody White here obviously anchors that offensive line. So you also have your leaders not there anymore. Now, obviously, when you have four of your five guys out, like, no, duh, you're not going to have your leaders there. But those are guys that are very boisterous, work really closely with the quarterback, work work really closely with the play calling. Like, that's a problem for the entire offense, not just the line. And I think you're going to see that bleed into other things. All right, let's let's get over to the the guys not on the field and talk Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace a little bit. Let's start with Pace before we do Nagy, because you know there's a lot of fire Ryan Pace attitude with Bears fans and especially on Bears Twitter, social media, all that. There are some supporters. I'm mostly a supporter of Ryan Pace because he I do think he deserves credit for the defense that he built. The only piece that was here was Kyle Fuller, who he did choose to extend. Every other piece on this defense are guys that Ryan Pace brought in. However, on offense, he's you, you can't defend it at this point anymore. He hasn't addressed the offensive line enough. You know, the quarterback position, the miss with Trubisky, there's not a lot of weapons. So you've really got two tails here of a, of a GM who's built a phenomenal defense, maybe arguably the best over the last three years when you look at consistency, but an offense that just is going nowhere and doesn't seem to be getting better. So where, where are you with Ryan Pace? I like Ryan Pace and I like Matt Nagy a lot. I have personal relationships with both of them. They're really good people. Um, Here's what I'll say about Bears fans. And I'm not giving Ryan Pace the benefit of the doubt. It is glaring what is going on at the quarterback position. And there is no one to blame but him for that. It is a problem that he took Mitch Trubisky before Deshaun Watson and before Patrick Mahomes. We've said it a million times. There's been a hundred articles. They say it in every broadcast. It feels like with any of those three players, It's a problem. And that falls on Ryan Pace's shoulders. Yes, he's built a good defense. But as we've said, Bill, that is what the Chicago Bears are. The monsters of the midway. They're a good defense. Any GM that comes in here is going to have a good defense because this is where good defensive players like to play. It's part of the DNA in Chicago. With all that being said, Ryan Pace probably needs to recognize that the fan base was spoiled a little bit in that first year with Matt Nagy. They go to the playoffs. They lose in the first round of the playoffs, the double doink to the Philadelphia Eagles. We all remember it well. 
Here's what I saw out of Bears fans after that happened. It was like riding high. We had arrived. The Chicago Bears are back. Sure. On on and on and on. If the if the Patriots had had that exact same season, gone to the playoffs in the first round, had a double doink and got bounced, it would have been a complete failure of the season. It's two different mindsets. Right. So while while Ryan Pace should take a lot of this blame, I also need Bears fans to remember. You didn't arrive. You just made it to the playoffs. That was a very good team. Had Cody Parkey hit that field goal, who knows where they could have gone. No one can predict that. But this team has is nowhere close to arriving in the NFL, to being a premier team in the NFL. They're not there yet. So that's Ryan Pace's fault. That's Matt Nagy's fault. That's these players' fault. But that is something that Bears fans collectively need to understand. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good way to put it. I was definitely one of those guys that was like, hey, look, this is a young team. Trubisky's on the rise. The defense is great. I'm not, you know, I, w- I was one of those guys, and we all know how much it unfolded in 2019, and it, mm-hmm. was, it was really frustrating. But since we talked pace, let's, let's, let's ask uh, Matt Nagy really quick, because I'm a Matt Nagy supporter. His, his overall record, I think, speaks for itself. And that reflects as me, as him, as a, a head coach, you know, little discipline issues with the penalties this year, but I think he's a great leader of men. I think that locker room loves him, respects him, yeah. wants to play hard for him, but Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator, so to speak, definitely hasn't, I think, lived up to the hype. Now, when you've got Chase Daniel and you've got Mitch Trubisky, you've got Nick Foles, I don't think anyone can expect you, the Chiefs offense to look like Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes, but it still hasn't lived up to what the expectations were. So Matt Nagy, what do you think of him as a head coach and what do you think of him as an offensive mind? Okay. I think there's a reason that when Matt Nagy left the, the chiefs, they didn't skip a beat. And in fact, they could have even possibly gotten better. I, that has nothing to do with Matt Nagy in the offensive coordinating position because um, it's more about Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Let's just say that, but I'm just saying that wasn't all Matt Nagy's doing that also had to do with Andy Reed, the way they drafted the weapons they have in Patrick Mahomes. Okay. So let's, let's say that now Matt Nagy is in Chicago and he has, Yes, the entire locker room likes him. He's very well respected. As a media personality, I loved Matt Nagy. He's a wonderful person. He's very respectful. He's very nice. I think he has a very smart football brain, obviously much more intellect in regards to football than I would ever have. But I don't know if it's a, a, a him wanting to do his offense his way and him not having the players there to do it that way or if he just can't bring himself to dumb it down the way that these quarterbacks might need him to, because Trubisky was not his guy. He didn't pick Trubisky. So he was trying to, I think, work with Trubisky and dumbing down the offense slash teaching him his offense. And it was too much. Trubisky's biggest problem, Matt Nagy has said it multiple times, is reading defenses. Half of Matt Nagy's offense is reading the defense and adjusting. Can't have that with Mitch Trubisky. Okay. So now you have Nick Foles, a veteran guy who knows this offense really well, but Nick Foles isn't mobile. He can't do the same things that Trubisky can do that Patrick Mahomes can do. He doesn't have that same skill set. So again, you're dumbing it down. You're making it, you're tailoring it to Nick Foles. And I just think it's this situation where he doesn't want to run a hurry up. You've seen now Trubisky say that, and you've seen Nick Foles talking to him on the sideline about that because he feels like his offense isn't prepared to do that. I'm putting words in his mouth, but that's what it feels like. Why else wouldn't you want to run a hurry up? No, no huddle. That's what both your quarterbacks seem to prefer. He doesn't want to do it because I think he thinks there's going to be miscommunication somewhere. 
there's been multiple times last year where he didn't run the ball at a certain point because he was worried about a fumble. I just don't know that he trusts this offense as a whole to do what he's looking for. And that's part of the problem. And that's part of him not bringing in his own guys, which I think we're going to start to see more of, but it was like, he got here and Ryan Pace brought in Khalil Mack, who took up a lot of draft capital, took off, took up a lot of money. And so now you're starting to see hopefully Matt Nagy plug in some of his own guys and you'd hope to see more often, more results on the offensive side of the ball, but you paid Nick Foles all this money and he's not good. Like he's going out and throwing interceptions. So now it's like, well, Nagy, I don't know how you're going to plug in all these guys that you want to run your system. If you're paying that you're paying Nick Foles all this money and he's throwing interceptions on critical third downs. Like I just, I can't understand the thought process with all this. So do I think Matt Nagy is a very good offensive minded coach? Yes. I just don't think he has the players in place to run what he wants to run, but that's also part of his problem and part of Ryan Pace's problem. And until they all get on the same page, we're going to still see these results. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, kind of to go on what you're saying with Matt Nagy, there's a, there's a consistency issue. Like you said, sometimes he comes across like he doesn't trust his guys. Yeah. So he won't run it because he's afraid of a fumble. But then on other times on an obvious running situation where he wants to run out the clock, he says, he, you know, he goes for that, the kill shot, so to speak, and, and throws the football, but he, you know, they thrown in completion, stop the clock and yeah. now he's well, mismanaged the clock. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very inconsistent with him, but you know, well, let's wrap up with the quarterback situation. Um, with Nick Foles, just specifically on Nick Foles. I thought Nick Foles was the better guy to run this offense than, than Mitch Trubisky. I still, I still do, but Thanks. obviously, like you said, he's just not good. I didn't like that they gave up a fourth-round pick, especially when Jacksonville had that awful contract. I thought they could even get like a pick upgrade just so Jacksonville could unload him. But Nick Foles, do you think there's hope that Nick Foles can get better and thus this offense gets better the back half of the season I mean Bill he's a Super Bowl MVP like the man's capable of being really good let's just call it what it is you don't go out in the biggest of moments and perform at an MVP type level if you're not a good quarterback I think that has obviously followed him through his whole career and that's why he keeps getting these opportunities but now I live on the east coast so now I talk to a lot of people that are Philadelphia Eagles fans and they all say the same thing you should have never given him that starting job you should have left it as Trubisky and anytime Trubisky made a mistake pulled him and thrown Foles in there that's what you should have done and I'm like hmm but then you would be running a two quarterback system and what do they say in the NFL if you have two quarterbacks you have none so forget it but I'm with you. Going back to Mitch Trubisky to me is not an option. You have a large sample size of the issues Mitch Trubisky has with reading defenses and running this offense effectively. Why would you go back to that? He wasn't getting the job done. It was obvious. Nick Foles is not mobile. So you need a run game or you need someone that can, there's no quarterback sneaks really going on in this offense. You need someone that can do that for you. But Foles needs to limit the turnovers. I mean, they're brutal. They're brutal. Some of those interceptions some of those incompletions. He's got a big arm. There are plays he makes where I say Trubisky could have never made that. He would have overthrown him. He wouldn't have seen the defense. He wouldn't have been able to read the situation. Nick Foles is a good quarterback. He's extremely streaky though. And he's got to clean up the turnovers. And I think having a solid offensive line who might give him some time would help with that. So I don't know that it's all on Foles, but I do believe Nick Foles is a better quarterback than Trubisky. He just has got to learn to take care of the football better yeah. because it is painful. It's painful. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way here on third and long that he, this is going to get executed. It's going to be a turnover. Sure enough, it's a turnover. Like, 
can't have that. You can't have that. Yeah, it, the offense has been frustrating to, <laughs> to say the least. Man, I'm like sweating talking about it. I get so worked <laughs> up about it. <laughs> All right. Last thing here, uh, reports came out yesterday. I will, this week it started percolating Trubisky or Foles, Trubisky or Foles. Reports come out yesterday that Trubisky has an injured shoulder. He, he, he could be missing the game. He could be missing more time. It was very vague. We don't really know what's going Weird. on. Weird. But regardless here with this, it's with the injury and everything, it's clear that this is going to be Foles' Foles's team moving forward. Mm-hmm. Trubisky's got now got three shoulder injuries in, in yeah. three seasons. Obviously, it, it didn't, didn't quite work out how anyone had hoped. But if the Chicago chapter is closed on Mitch Trubisky's career, how are you going to remember Mitch as a guy who watched him play, but not just watched him play, but covered him? Because there's, there's really two, cha- there's two sides to this Trubisky story to me. Uh, as a bust. I'll remember him as a bust. Uh, that's what he is. I mean, you gave up a lot to move up to get him and he didn't pan out. I gave Mitch Trubisky a lot of benefit of the doubt in the beginning because this is a guy who learned under Mike Glennon, okay? He didn't (laughs) have Aaron Rodgers, I'm sorry, Brett Favre to learn under. You know, he didn't have Tom Brady in his corner or Drew Brees, like Mike Glennon was who he came in and learned under, okay? And John Fox was his head coach. Mr. Trubisky didn't have exactly the easiest transition into the NFL, but still, if you take a guy that high in the draft, you'd have to expect he's got some NFL IQ and he can figure it out as he goes. I think that's what Deshaun Watson has. I think that's what Patrick Mahomes has. And unfortunately for Mitch, that's just the way kind of his cookie crumbled. So I do feel bad for him in that regard. Cause I don't think his early development was as even as a lot of other players in the NFL, but he's, a bust. I mean, he didn't, he helped bring the Chicago bears team back to the playoffs in one season. That was a lot because of a strong defense, uh, a lot of luck. I think a lot of unknown because people didn't know what Matt Nagy was going to do in his first year as a head coach. And I thank him for that, but he wasn't able to sustain it and he'll go down as a bust. All right. There she is. Shay Pepler, ESPN game day. Catch her there. Obviously, we all know her well from all the time she's been in Chicago. Shay, thanks so much for jumping on with me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Talk to you later. All right. There she is. Shay Pepler, everybody. That was that was a great spot. Had a lot of fun talking to Shay there. And, and look, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Trubisky. I kind of teed her up at the end of Trubisky because I thought she was going to say that it was obviously his career was disappointing in Chicago. But what a great guy he is, because we, we hear how much the Chicago media loves Mitch the guy. I wanted to tee her up and kind of go out on a, a better note about, about Trubisky, but the, she just laid it down there, bust. So not, not mincing words about Mitch Trubisky, Shea Pepler. That was, that, was, that was a good spot here. Now, moving forward against this Titans team. This is a Titans team that I thought could give the Bears a little bit of a pretty good measuring stick of this offense in terms of maybe having an opportunity to try and get some things done. The Titans defense isn't quite as good as, it, as, as it's been, but I'll tell you what, like how, how can you possibly make a prediction right now about this game against Tennessee? I, I don't see any way that they can perform offensively. Like they, they should just take a knee for four quarters, I swear. I, what can you do when this is the offensive line you're going to roll out there when you're desperately hoping that like maybe Sam Mustafer can play. It's just this offensive line is a, it was not good previously. And now the guys who weren't good enough to unseat these guys are all going to play. So this is, 
this is not a situation that you want to be in if you're Nick Foles. I think the Bears, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball at all behind this offensive line. I don't think Nick Foles is going to have much time. I'm concerned about how many times Nick Foles could get hit in the course of this football game. So to me, I just think the Bears are going to lose. I really had some, if you listen to this podcast last week, I really had some hope that they were going to be able to beat the Saints, and they came close. And if things had just broken a little bit better, they would have won that game, obviously, overtime game. They were overtime away from sweeping the NFC South, which is which is pretty impressive. But bottom line, that didn't happen. This Tennessee game, Derrick Henry could pose a problem for this defense if they don't tackle well, if they don't wrap up, if they don't swarm. Derrick Henry is a guy you need to gang tackle. So if they're, if they're not aggressive in that regard, Derrick Henry is going to have a big game. And this offense, like I said, I, I don't even know what you can possibly, you couldn't, you cannot, Matt Nagy, if you want to criticize things that have happened in the past, Nick Foles, if you want to criticize things that happened in the past, David Montgomery, if you want to criticize things that happened in the past, fine, all fair. I'm not going to sit there and say this offense has been great. Obviously it hasn't. But this game against the Titans, if the offensive line is Charles Leno and basically four preseason level players, which is really what this is headed towards. If that's what this ends up being, you cannot judge anything that happened on this offense. You cannot expect this offense to do anything. I don't think you could expect a good offense. If you threw this offensive line in in front of uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, I don't think you could expect much from this offense. I think this offensive line has the chance to be, to struggle this much, that much against Tennessee. So I have concerns, obviously. So I'm unfortunately going to say that the Bears are going to lose this game something like 17 to 7. Something like that. I just I just can't see a lot of positives going their way this this week. So we'll hope that something, something miraculous happens with this offensive line and the offense does some stuff and the Bears can can pull out one against Tennessee, but can't see that happening. So unfortunately, I think this is going to be a long week for the Bears. So That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll see if I'm right next week. Bear it out, everybody. They're going to need it. Adios.